This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. We're in the second week of a series that we've called My Hot Mess. And I got a few just kind of housekeeping items that we want to do before we get started. First is that in your worship guide today, there's a little postcard that has this graphic on it this for a series that we're going to do in June. And it's the series is called You Ask, We Answered. And what we've asked you to do is to submit some topics. And so um, if you would, just kind of take a moment and fill that out. You can put any kind of topic that you would like to hear a message on. And I know it's really easy to say, but Kevin, isn't that your job to decide what we're supposed to hear? That's you pray about it. And you know what's interesting is that if you read the scriptures very carefully, that about half the time Jesus taught, it wasn't because he had something that he wanted to say. It was really directly response, a direct response to a question that had been given. And so we like to occasionally throughout the year get some feedback from you so that we can provide a little bit better uh, content for you on a Sunday. And so that's what we're going to do in June. Uh, we've already taken these up once, and so we'd ask you to do it again. There's another question that's on there that just kind of references how what's the best way to communicate with you in a changing world? Is it is it through the old kind of printed off mail, or would it be through electronic communication such as email? If you would fill that out and just drop than an offering as we get ready uh, later on today to receive that. Now, uh, before we also get started, I just want to make sure you're aware of a few things. Just a few weeks from now, we have uh, Mother's Day. Mother's Day is awesome. for One is that we just love mothers uh, because we all have one. That's <laughs> how we got here in the first place. But we believe there's probably no more important job than being a mom on the planet. And so we love to bless our moms on Mother's Day, but we also love to celebrate motherhood on Mother's Day. And so we dedicate children on that Sunday. You may be uh, from a background that maybe didn't do that the way that we do. Maybe it was more of a baptism. And we don't baptize people until they're old enough to have a kind of made a conscious decision to know that they are choosing to follow Jesus. But we do dedicate our babies because we believe that we can stand in front of God and in front of our church community and just make a commitment to say, hey, we're going to raise our kids the way that Jesus wants us to. And as a church, we're we're going to be committed to doing that as well. And so if you're interested in doing that, maybe you, you have some older kids, that's fine. If you have younger kids that you've never done that with, that's fine too. Whatever you want, we just want to be able to serve you. You can sign up at guest services. Also, we have a student beach trip that will come up in early June. Uh, the the cost of that's $250 uh, per kid. It's a great to actually go on this trip. I take a week away from my family to go so that I can spend time with our teenagers. I teach them every single day. All right, so this is for middle school and high school students. It's really a chance for me as their pastor to kind of build a relationship with them. And so uh, we'd love to be able to host them. Or if you're here and you're like, you know, there may be a kid that doesn't, whose family can't afford to do that, we'd love to sponsor them. If that's something that you'd like to do, make sure that we know that uh, because we'd love to be able to bless those families. And then lastly, every year we do a party in, in the spring. We call it family prom. And really, uh, we, we hire a D. 
DJ, really because I want to see who can dance and who can't. That's all it is. I just want a chance to see who, who is the person that thinks they can dance, but they can't. Because we want to have a party and have fun. It's great for everybody. We, it's catered in, good barbecue. We also have a great DJ, inflatables for the kids. And we give away stuff. It's really actually a great evening. It's a great time to build relationships. We would invite you to make your way and plan to be there on June the 4th. Now, I wanted just to start by, by kind of referencing last week's message, because as we ended last week's message, I gave you kind of a challenge and a thought that I wanted you to start to apply to yourself and think whenever you saw somebody who was in a mess or someone whose life had gotten messy, I, I can, we all said it together. It was this thought that I know a hot mess when I see one because I am one. I know a hot mess. I know what mess looks like because I have been one. And maybe you're not right now, but maybe in just a few days you might be a mess all over again because we know what a mess looks like because we have been one. And we've all got ourselves into those moments when life became messy. Life became, and when life becomes messy, we all typically have the same response, don't we? We'll look at the people that we've totally blown it with and we'll say, hey, but nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But when we do that, we're actually admitting something. We're actually admitting that there's a perfect that nobody is. That there's an idea that exists outside of me of how things should be and how I should be. There's a perfect. And this standard continues to press into me. And if it wasn't me, I could just get rid of the standard. And that perfect is really God himself. And so our messes are actually an invitation to see a perfect God. So when we recognize that we were unkind and we start to get convicted about it and we feel that standard of kindness pressing in on us and it's something that we can't escape or get away from, actually what it is is it's an invitation to see through our mess to know that there is a God who is always kind. Who is always kind. When I'm unloving, I can see through my mess to a God who is always loving. When I'm unforgiving, I can see through my mess to a God who is always forgiving and gracious. That our messes are an invitation to see a perfect God. And we know this because we've all made messes. I've made messes. Y'all realize that all of us have made messes. One of the, the most significant early messes that I can remember happened, happened right after I got my driver's license. We were living in South Carolina at the time, and they were really nice to us. They let us get our license when we were 15 and a half. Isn't that stupid, right? If you know a 15-year-old now, there's no reason that they should ever be driving. But I got my license when I was 15 and a half, and my dad took me out, and I'd saved some money, and he put a lot more money with it, and we bought a car, my first car. It was a Pontiac Sunbird, not, not, not a Firebird. Those, the vast, vast difference between those two words, even though they look similar. A Sunbird was like a four-door sedan, right? It was, it was a family car. And my dad, my dad helped me get it, and it was awesome. I loved it. It was a stick shift, and I was, I was all manly in my stick shift four-door sedan, right? It was awesome, man. I loved that car. 
And the day I got my driver's license, my friend Brian lived all the way across town. Now, we lived in a, a, per, a part of town that would kind of be equated around here to somewhere like Matthews. It was fairly busy, fairly congested. And the day I got my driver's license, it was a daytime driver's license. I had to be home by 7.30. And we were home that afternoon after getting my license at about 3 o'clock. And I said, Dad, can I go see my friend Brian? I know he lives across town. I'll be back in time, Dad. I'll get out. And I, my dad reluctantly said, sure, yeah, you can, you can go. You can go. And so I got in my car and I pulled out of the, the neighborhood that we lived on. To, it went to a, a fairly busy street and it was bumper to bumper traffic. I'd, I don't think my heart was prepared for that because I get so bored in bumper to bumper. Anybody else get bored in bumper to bumper traffic? And I, I started looking for, for the CD that I wanted to listen to and, and, and I was going and I didn't know that the traffic had stopped. And the first time I was driving my, my Pontiac Sunbird, I went about 30 miles an hour into the back of the car that was right in front of me. And the police officer called my dad. I could hear him. Mr. Simmons, your son's been in an accident. He got there very quickly because it was right outside the neighborhood. And my dad had that threefold look that dads can have in moments like this. Like he was definitely concerned for me but there was anger and a little bit of embarrassment. <laughs> All of those right there in that moment. And my dad is not the kind of person that gets over things very quickly. I don't know if your dad is that way. My dad's not. And so he decided that it would be nice if, if I just got a reminder. In the back of our house, we had a bay window that opened up into our backyard. It's where our dining room table sat. And my dad pulled my car around that had been smashed up in the very front and parked it right in front of that bay window. So for the next few days when we ate dinner, I had to sit there and look at that car. It was a mess. It was a mess. And you know what's interesting? I think that there's some of our lives, some of our lives are a lot like that mess right now. If we're honest, the mess that we're in right now is a mess that we got ourselves into. We didn't listen to the people who loved us when they were telling us, don't do that, don't make that mistake. We didn't listen to the people who were saying, hey, back up, no. The good counsel that God had put in our lives, we kept saying no to it. We even knew, maybe even in our own hearts, that what we were doing wasn't the right thing to do. And we got in a mess. And I want you to know something about your mess today that is so powerful and we often miss this because we attach such shame to our messes, is this, that your mess has the potential to bring you to God. Your mess has the potential to bring God near you. I want to look at a verse out of John chapter 3, John chapter 3 has that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, right? Y'all familiar with that? We love that verse. 
right? That's the verse that, that we all like write on our foreheads at games, and right? We carry signs to, you know, the Super Bowl with that verse. But the verse after that I, is what I'd like to kind of zero in on. In, in thinking about who, the, who this son that God sent into the world is all about. What is he all about? We see it in John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world, look, to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And oftentimes, in the middle of our messes, what we feel is shame and condemnation. And if you pay close attention to who Jesus is, when he met people that were messy, something drastically different happened. To them. Let me translate this verse kind of into terminology that would match up to where we are in this series. That Jesus didn't come to point out your mess. He came to get you out of your mess. He didn't come just to point it out, to condemn you. Jesus actually came to get you out of the messes that you find yourself in. It happens all throughout Scripture, especially in the Gospels. There's a story in John chapter 8, if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with it, of a woman who was caught in adultery. She's likely ruined her own marriage, likely ruined somebody else's marriage. She suffered the embarrassment of being caught in an act and immediately is drugged throughout the town. You can imagine the scene as they flood in to where Jesus is, demanding that this woman be stoned. And Jesus, in a very wise moment, because Jesus is smart, obviously, looks at the men who are trying to condemn her and he says, okay, if you want to stone her, that's fine, but let the person without sin cast the first stone. And the scriptures record that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. Until all that was left in this private moment was Jesus and a woman who had been caught in adultery and drug right in front of him in one of the most shameful and difficult moments of her entire life. And you know what Jesus said to her? And I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus said, look at me. Look at me. He didn't walk away. He didn't leave her alone. He didn't teach to other people. He addressed her. Look at me. Do any of those that brought you in here condemn you? No, sir, they don't. And neither do I. Go and sin no more. It happened again in Luke chapter 19 with the guy that every person in this room, if we would have been alive in those days, we would have hated him. 
Jesus is walking along the street and there is a guy who has climbed up into a tree to try to get a perspective of who Jesus was. He was a tax collector. And in those days, tax collectors made their money by not just collecting the tax that they were supposed to collect, but by extorting the people that they were collecting tax from often asking two to three times the amount of tax that they were supposed to receive. His name was Zacchaeus. He would have been wealthy. And I like to picture that moment where he had some bodyguards actually stationed at the bottom of the tree, because if not, I'm going to imagine that there were some folks that would have hated him so much they would have loved to come after him. And Jesus catches a glimpse of this tax collector, a wicked man, who had made a living extorting people for more money. Jesus asked him to come down from the tree, and he looks at him and says, come down to me. Come down to me. Not only am I going to talk to you, but Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. Let's have dinner. Everybody knows who who you are, and everybody knows who I am. They have no idea what's going on here. And then they would go to his house, and they would have dinner, and Jesus would give him this invitation. Zacchaeus, I want you to stop. I want you to stop doing what you've been doing. I want you to change your life. As a matter of fact, as as a statement of your repentance, I want you to pay back everybody. Everything you stole from them plus interest. And the scriptures record that he did with with even more interest than he by law would have been required to. There's another moment in John chapter 4 where Jesus is traveling through Samaria with his friends and they come upon a well. It's the middle of the day and if you've ever been to the Middle East, there's a kind of hot that we don't even have that kind of hot that comes around in the middle of the day, which is why people don't go outside in the middle of the day. When they collect water or go about business, it's early in the morning or late in the evening because they want to avoid the heat of the middle of the day. But here is a woman who is approaching Jacob's swell in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day. And she's coming because her life is a mess. She's been married five times. Five times is a lot today. (laughs) In the first century, five times was unimaginable. And she was living with a guy that she had never even been married to. She was coming in the middle of the day because she was so embarrassed, so shameful. Her mess had driven her away from people. And Jesus, Jesus looks at her and says, come close to me. Come close to me. The water that you seek, I can give you living water that you will never thirst again. It happened again when Jesus was on the cross. He was 
stationed right next to a man that if you think about it, the only purpose deemed on his life at this point, what he had done had been so criminal, so heinous, so perverted that the society had deemed that he was not even worth living. The best thing that we can do with him is to make an example of him by killing him and executing him in front of everyone else. And when he begs for mercy with Jesus, the response from Jesus is, you will be with me. See, I want you to know that God has a solution for our mess. God has a solution for our mess. And and the first thing, we see it in every one of those moments and is still God's plan today that Jesus offered himself. Jesus offered himself. Whether it be Zacchaeus who's up in the tree, let's go eat. Whether it be the woman who's been been caught in, in an adulterous act and Jesus says, no, no. Look at me and, and, and listen to me. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Je- Jesus always offered himself. And the first thing in your notes today is that Jesus offered himself as a solution. You know what's interesting to me? is a lot of times I think that when we kind of think about Jesus and the followers of Jesus. We, we, we think about the heroes that followed him, but we don't realize that Jesus invited people to follow him while they were still messy people. They were still messy. Their lives weren't fixed. The things that they were struggling with weren't over. They still had questions. They still had stuff that had to be worked out. And even in the middle of their mess, God invited them through Jesus to follow him. Jesus invited people to follow him while he was still messy. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at a a, a real quick passage in John chapter and just make some, some simple applications for that when it comes to the solution that Jesus has for our mess. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, where Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If you will heed my teachings, if you will listen to my way of understanding, if you will allow my truth to become your truth, what happens is is that it is as if in our world a light goes on and we can see clearly. But that's not how we get in messes, is it? We get in messes oftentimes by doing exactly what we know Jesus wouldn't want us to do. So number two in your notes is that our messes put us in a dark place. Our messes put us in a dark place. We get there most of the time simply by refusing to follow Jesus. And when we reject his understanding and his ways, what happened is that we end up in a dark, messy place. 
Y'all know it's easier to have a mess in the dark, right? That's why some of y'all, when y'all invite people over, you only do it by candlelight, right? Because they, they can't see what your carpet looks like. They don't notice where your kids been coloring on the walls, right? Because it is easier to hide a mess. It's more, you are more capable of making a mess in the dark. Because messes originate in dark places. And Jesus says, listen, I, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light that guides you. I am the light that shows you the way. I'm the light that helps you to see and understand. And then he says, whoever follows me, whoever follows me, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, which reminds me, number three, that we get into messes when we don't follow Jesus. We get into messes simply because we don't follow Jesus. That's how we end up. The, the dark place comes because we have rejected following the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the world, the light of life. So look at this. The only way out of a mess is to follow. The only way out of a mess is to follow. Now I want to spend some time and kind of lean into this because a lot of the times this is not what we want to get out of a mess. What we really want is we want triple A. Right? That's what we want. We want God to be triple A. I want, I've got my membership. And so whenever a mess happens, God, I can call you. You'll come and get me out of the mess, but then you leave me alone. Really? That's what we want. But that's not what a good father does, is it? That's not what a good father does. We know this because we've seen people try to rescue kids and they get them out and they give them a quick fix and then they're right back in the same mess and they give them another quick fix and they're right back in the same mess. See, God, look at this, as our good father doesn't always rescue us from our circumstances, he often rescues us through our circumstances. I want you to pay attention to that. God as a good father doesn't rescue us from our circumstances, he often rescues us through our circumstances. He doesn't do AAA because he knows that if he showed up and got you out of that mess in a moment, you'd have yourself right back there. Because for God, he's not as concerned with your perfection as he is your progression. He's not just trying to get you to behave a certain way. He's not just trying to get you to, to act right. Because as a parent, we know that. We're not, as parents, we're not as overly concerned in the right moments with our kids' behavior as we are our relationship with them. Have you ever noticed that? As a good parent, we're not as concerned with their behavior as we are with our relationship with them. Because wouldn't you rather have imperfect kids who love you 
rather than perfect kids that don't care for you? Wouldn't you? God is a good father who wants to rescue us from the mess. And the only way out of the mess is to follow. So what does it mean to follow? Because we talk about that a lot. We talk about what it means to follow. I'm going to give you three things real quick. Following is number one. It's a declaration of surrender. It's a declaration of surrender. It is saying to God, God, I have tried to do it all my way. I surrender. I surrender my will, my way, my understanding. I surrender to you, God. I will follow you. Number two, it's an expression of humility. It's an expression of humility. It is saying, God, I recognize that you are greater than me. You are smarter than me. And I've said this before, just remind you of this. I don't want a God who I'm smarter than. I want a God who's smarter than me. And at times, if someone's smarter than you, they're going to say things that confuse you. They're going to say things that you go, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That doesn't, what I understand, that doesn't equal what I understand. And that's why God, at times, is going to say things that are truly counterintuitive. Like, forgive your enemies. No, God, I want to hold on to the grudge. No, forgive them. That's the best thing for you to do. I want you to, I want you to give. Be generous. Give, give 10% away and, and live off the 90%. But God, if I give 10% away, I have less. No, no, now you have me and 90%. This is a lot more. It's counterintuitive. It's an expression of humility. And last, it's, a, it's submission to Jesus. It's the sacrifice of my will in my decisions. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at Matthew 7 where Jesus is teaching about building a house and just kind of reflect on what it means to follow him. Matthew 7, 26, he says, everyone who hears my words but does not, but does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Notice that he says, you hear my words, but you don't put them into practice. In other words, you understand the things of God. You've read the Bible. What, What do you think matters to Jesus right now? What you know or what you do? It's what you do, isn't it? There are many of us, we don't need to know anymore. We just need to do what we already know. Jesus said, those of you who know what to do, but you don't put it into practice, you're like a person who's built their house on the sand. And he's going to talk about that later. And he's going to say that, those, that later a storm comes and it blows against it because storms are going to come. Messes are going to come. It's going to blow against the house and it's going to knock it down. But everyone who hears my word and puts them into practice, who everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, pay, pay attention to that. Because what he's saying here is that you've decided to listen, receive, and obey. And we have to pre-decide as followers of Jesus to say, whatever you say, God, I have already pre-decided that I will trust you and obey. 
Even if it doesn't make if it doesn't make sense, if it feels counterintuitive, whatever it is, God, I have predecided when I said I'm going to follow you, I'm going to do whatever you ask. Anyone who hears my words, put them in practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do y'all see that word built? You ever built a house? Now we can build houses pretty quickly these days, but you know what we can't do? We can't build them in a moment. Because building a house is a process. There's a process to it. And Jesus is saying, this is not going to happen in a moment. As a matter of fact, if, and then he describes what happens when the rain, the rains come, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, look, because its foundation is on the rock. Because it was built right. The foundation of the house was built correctly. And so when the storms came, when the messes came, it withstood the test. I want you to see something about messes from this. Pay attention to this. That you cannot pray or confess your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. You cannot pray or confess your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. there are a lot of us that get into a mess that we've made. If we're honest, we made the mess. We disobeyed God. We didn't listen to our parents when they said, no, don't do it. And you can't just simply get on your knees and pray and get out of a mess that you behaved your way into. But what you can do is you can follow your way out. You can follow your way out. So what I'd like to do is just talk about that mess as we wrap up. Because I believe that Jesus, just like those folks in the Bible, Jesus wants to meet us in our mess. Sometimes, this is not even in the notes. I thought of this last night when I was preparing for this. Sometimes it takes a mess to arrange the meeting. Sometimes it takes a mess to arrange the meeting. Sometimes there are stories that are born in our lives only because we went through such significant messes. And we know that this is true. We know that God shows up in our mess, not because simply it's in the Bible and we see it in the stories in the scripture, but because this room is filled with people who would say that that's their story. that they would say that this is their story. Look at this, that I messed up. I messed up. There was something in my life. I messed it up. I made a mess. But after I made that mess, this time it was different because this time I gave up. I stopped trying to fight. I stopped trying to run. I just looked at God and said, God, I'm tired of avoiding you. I'm tired of running from you, God. I just give up. And then I looked up. And I let the lens of my life, the eyes of my heart fix themselves on Jesus. And then God showed up. Now I want you to look at this story. This right here. That I messed up. I gave up. I looked up. 
And then God showed up. If that's you today, if that's your story and you're in this room right now, what I want you to do is just nod your head. I love when people do Some of y'all do that the entire time I'm preaching. I love that. Some of y'all do this. That's, no, I don't love that as much. If that's your story, do that. Nod your head. Maybe if you're from my kind of church background, say amen. That's yours. Because this is what our stories look like, that I messed up. I made a mess of my life, but then, but then I gave up. And I looked up, and God showed up. You know, sometimes the mess needs to happen to arrange a meeting because the mess ultimately is an invitation to invite Jesus in. And there's some of us that are here today that honestly right now, you don't realize the great power that lies in the potential of the mess that you're facing. Because there are stories that have been rewritten. That woman at the well showed up in the middle of the day to get water. And Jesus, Jesus spoke to her. And as he began to speak to her, she realized who she was talking to. And do you know what she did? She ran back to town, leaving behind her water pot. In those days, that was a life source for her family. And she ran back to the leaders of the town. And you can imagine the conversation. It would have went something like this. There's a man outside of our town. And like you, he knows who I am. He knows the mess that I am. But unlike you, he doesn't condemn me. And I think he's the Messiah. So would you come and see him with me? And crowds flooded because a woman who was a mess met the man who turns a mess into a message. And I believe that there's some of you today. There's some of you that are here. And if you're honest, you're a hot mess. You look great on the outside. Your Instagram world is beautiful and your kids are awesome, but behind the scenes, you're a mess and you're tired of it. And I want you to know that just like you, like you know that you're a mess, Jesus knows that you're a mess too. And he's inviting you today to let him into your mess so that he can turn it into a message. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.